Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team. The Rays Radio Network proudly presents This Week in Rays Baseball. The 2-2. Swing and a miss. Hey, struck out as Stanton goes down. And that's eight strikeouts for Shane McClanahan. Coming up, we'll recap the action from this past week. Take a look around Major League Baseball and sit down for in-depth interviews with the biggest names in the game. First pitch to him. Line back up the middle, but there is Franco to the left of the bag. He turns and throws him out, and the Rays have won it in Atlanta. Here's your host, Neil Solons. Hi, everybody. Welcome to our latest show. Today, Pete Fairbanks discusses being back in the Rays' bullpen as only he can. Kevin Kiermeyer discusses his recent hip surgery and his first trip back to the ballpark since the procedure. We'll catch up with pitching prospect J.J. Goss, introduce you to Brian Plexico of Baseball Operations, and discuss why the Orioles have taken such a big jump this year with their broadcaster Jeff Arnold. We continue on this week in race baseball, and joining us this week is race reliever Pete Fairbanks. Pete, great to have you on the podcast and the show, and uh, great to see you're healthy. Yeah, it's nice to be back, and uh, you know, being able to be in the clubhouse in the afternoons instead of uh, you know in the mornings ostracized. How good do you feel? Because watching you pitch, you know, it's like you didn't miss a beat when you came back. Yeah, um, I thought I had a pretty good rehab process. I made some some good changes to my pregame. You know, the, my throwing side of things, or I'm getting my daily work in, just trying to, you know, make sure that I am ready to go in the game versus feeling good two hours before the game. Um, and I think that that's been the biggest thing. That and just telling myself constantly that my only job is to attack the strike zone. You've obviously been committed to that, but let's back up. You changed some things. For fans who don't see what your daily routine is like, what did you change? Yeah, so normally I'm a big long tosser, um, but the problem with that, at least for me at, th- at this stage, is that you know long tossing is replicating mound stress, and so I was basically stressing myself twice without you know ever making sure I have those recover that recovery time where I'm just throwing to sort of sort of speak like massage or like it's like walking your dog to where you're you're just you know making sure it feels good, it's moving around, and you're throwing, but you're not stressing it to the point that everything's breaking down and you feel like you're not recovering to actually throw in games. So is there no more long tossing, or is it just kind of minimized? What's No, I've, I've run it all on what they call your rate of perceived exertion. So I basically throw at the point where I feel like I'm not getting any higher than like 85% of my max effort pregame. Um, and I take that if I get on the mound pregame, if I throw you know, flat ground anything, the distance necessarily isn't the focal point for me. But it's the, okay, I can't let myself, you know, match these out at, you know, what time we throw today. So Sunday, a day game, I'm throwing at, you know, 1130. I don't need to max out and, and throw a 96 off a mound at, you know, 1145. I need that at 330. And by changing, you know, that, that effort level and that focal point, it's been, I think, pretty good for me. Is that hard to do, or is it kind of, okay, if I want to stay healthy, i got to do something different? Uh, I think it was easier this time around because I saw that the stuff and the velocity and everything is the same, if not better, while I allow myself to you know, still recover and still feel like the feel is there for throwing the ball you know, somewhere close to where I want it. You know what I mean? You've been through a lot over the course of your career. I mean, multiple Tommy John, soldier, uh, shoulder issues. How did this lat injury and the rehab compare to, let's say, what you had to go through in the past? And does the past help you go through what you just went through? Yeah, definitely. Anytime that you can draw from, 
an experience that, in my opinion, was harder for your current one. I think that that is definitely definitely a big plus. And the fact that I, you know, with those two, I was basically back from this one in less time than I didn't throw with my second Tommy John. And so, you know, just to put that in, to have that, put that in perspective that I didn't throw for like nine months and know that, okay, well, this is, you know, it's six weeks of no throw and then you just pick up a ball again, you know, we can manage that. And then you take that and you go in to your daily work and you make sure that you um, hit every line, every checkpoint, everything that you think you need to hit and, and just continually do that as you're, as you're going. How much did your wife Lydia help through this too? Um, because she's a former athlete at the collegiate level. She had to go through her own set of injuries. An understanding of what it's like to have to rehab and giving you the time you need to you know, shut it down at times. Yeah, uh, she's been through way more than I have uh, with her back issues. And I would say that arguably recovering from a C-section is much harder than any <laughs> extremity injury because... One, you, it, it's just significantly harder when you have your, your abdominal wall is sliced through. So anything that she's been through is much harder than anything that I have experienced. And so that kind of helps me, you know, keep it in perspective and understand that she's been through a lot harder. So if she, you know, has an opinion on things, I bet it's probably a pretty valid one. And speaking of that, uh, while this is going on or while you're recovering, she had your, you know, your second child. How much did that help too to just occupy your mind and your activities during the course of a day while you're going through rehab and just kind of get you away from what you had to deal with. Yeah, a huge distraction. I, and it was great. I loved being able to to be there for the early stage like I was with Isaac. And it's, you know, it, it's great to to watch them as they grow, even though it's only three months. There's, you know, so many changes that happen in your first three months and then your next three months. And then it's just continually, you know, just from like head control and, and awareness and tracking and everything. So it was great. I got to go back home after I was done and let her take a nap on me for an hour and a half, two hours, whatever it was in the afternoon, and I loved it. So boy dad or girl dad, which uh, which is how different are they for you since you've got one of each now? Yeah, they're, I wouldn't say that it's different for me, but their personalities are remarkably different, even at the stage that she's in. She is much more chill and content than Isaac ever was. He has been and still does have a constant need to be doing something or to be entertained or to be moving, et cetera. And she's perfectly happy to just sit there and stare at her little stuffed fox. Fox is the toy, huh? Yeah, she has a little, it's a fox that's got all the teethers and jingles and rattles and all that stuff. Um, and Isaac loved it, but I think Lottie's probably got him beat on her love for uh, Mr. Fox, as we call him. Learning uh, from or learning of you during the podcast we did last year, I learned of your love of coffee. Your coffee intake, how much higher is it with two kids versus one? It's probably down all in all. That's another thing I just try and monitor. I don't think that I need. Well, actually, I would, it's definitely not because I know that right now with both of them, they both decide to wake up at exactly the same time every morning, which is a giant nuisance. <laughs> I wish that one of them would sleep in. Neither of them sleep in. So... I know that I need to cut it at some point. Obviously, I'm still drinking a Red Bull or a cup of coffee at night. But leading up until that, until the game, until I'm drinking something later, I try and monitor in that, that big afternoon setting so I'm not consuming too much throughout the day and have it early and one my one late. Does Lydia now have more coffee than she did before having two? Because two versus one is a, a different animal, as you've learned. Um, I don't know. We're still playing. Well, she's not playing man defense. Whenever I'm there, it's still it's still man to man. She has her hands full when I'm not there. I don't know. We seem to run through um, the cold brew concentrate in our fridge much faster than we would have with just Isaac. Uh, so I I would assume that she's probably up to the caffeine usage, but I'm not for sure. Now with Isaac, you said he needs you know the constant uh, constantly on the go. So is your Marvel intake on way down, or are you still engaging? Because I know that's that's big for you. Yeah, he, well, it's probably similar. I haven't had time to watch a lot of their new stuff, but I also am warned about the quality of a lot of their new stuff is just not as good as what it was. So I don't think it's that big of a loss. I did finally get to see Lightyear, which is Pixar, not necessarily Marvel, but same father company. Um, and I loved Lightyear. I thought it was awesome. He, We were watching it last night, and he woke up promptly at 7.30 this, this morning and yelled for dad to come watch a show so we got up and finished light year 
Um, but we also, he's, he's really into Legos right now. And we found in Milwaukee, we found a Lego store and he got like a supersized Iron Man suit build. And so we built that, we built that. He loves it. He loves to try and take it apart and put it back together. So I, I think overall consumption is down, but my Lego time has gone significantly up, which is huge for me because I am an avid Lego builder. So what's your favorite? Are, do you do creative builds or is it building to whatever the thing is that you've bought? Depends. I like to build the sets that I get and then Isaac will break the sets that we get. And then at which point it turns into what can I build? I do have, I haven't built it yet because I have to build it when he is not around. I have the, there's a Death Star Trench Run diorama set that came out and I have that. I've been waiting to build it so I can proudly display it in the front of my locker. And I just haven't gotten around to building yet because he has been taking up all of our time. So, and since you said you haven't seen much of the new stuff, I would assume the, the Spider-Man movie, the Doctor Strange, did you even, even get to either of those? So I saw No Way Home in theaters. Lyd and I went and saw that, which is great. Left him with a kid. Left, I think your parents were in town, so we left him. Isaac and Lottie with them went and saw it. Um, and then... I saw we. I watched Doctor Strange in parts after he went to bed at night when I was uh, when I was back, and it was Doctor Strange was could have been better. We'll say that. I love that Wanda was kind of off the rails. I thought that was awesome, but I just think it could have been done better. Spider Man though got a plus, or yes. that was that lived up to the other. That was it was No Way Home was fantastic, other than just the lack of common sense out of Peter Parker at times. Um, but William Defoe, um, I can't think of. Was it Alfred Molina, who plays Doc Ock? Those two, those two performances, and even Tom Holland. I thought that those three were just fantastic in it. Yeah, it, most well done of the recent ones for sure. We've talked a little bit, obviously a lot off the field, but on the field there was one thing I was kind of curious about you because more fans, I think, noticed the strut uh-huh. after you finish an inning. So tell me how that started. I don't know. Uh, Brooks Rayleigh calls it the big suitcase walk. So I just, I don't know, just kind of has happened. And now once you become cognizant of it, it's not going to actively like force myself to change. You know what I mean? So I kind of am who I am out there. And that's, uh, I guess, part of it now. Do you don't remember the first time you even did it subconscious? No, I mean, if I had to guess, it was probably in college. Um, being a Mizzou guy, you watch Scherzer a lot, and Scherzer is like stalking somebody around the mound after he punches somebody out. So if I had to guess, it's probably that was probably the impetus way back in like 2014 or something. But and recently, I had no idea. Since you brought up Brooks Raley, the personality of the bullpen, how different is it, and how nice is it to be back with that group chatting for three hours a night? Yes, yeah, it's great. I love being in the bullpen, as you know, and as I've said a million times. When you stick eight people in your yard, you guys are just going to go sit by yourselves. It lends itself to just a very interesting night in and night out experience. And I would, this bullpen is, is up there with my favorites. Before you got there, there was all the talk about, I guess, before Kit got hurt, it was him and Jason Adam and the dad jokes. Now, you're obviously a dad of two, so what is the dad humor jokes like now? It's still Jason Adam, and it's uh, I snuck one in on him, and on the bus actually we were going to the airport after our last game in Milwaukee. It was after you hit a home run, and I was showing him the highlights. That ball took, really took a U-turn, and I snuck it in. And I think it was because he had no idea that it was you that hit it. I think he thought it was Randy's, but I got a dad joke in on him, and I'm very proud of myself for it. You've had some good moments on the field, too. I think probably the one that sticks out is being on the field at the end of the ALDS in the 20 season. What are the moments that stand out to you um, to this point, and what have you been most proud of? Man. I don't know. There's a lot. There's so many just the the little aspects of it, I think, stand like obviously, you know, being on the mound, going to the World Series, um, being on the mound to, to clinch the AL East last year. There's – you know, stuff like that, I think, man, I don't know. I, it's almost something that I haven't, like, looked on because I don't want to yet. I want it to be later on, like, in a more, like, reflective time. I'm honestly just trying to take 
these games and these moments and take them for what they are and to be as present as I can in it because it's, you know, something that is a short part of whatever I do in this life. So I don't really try and put too much weight on the moments as they come, but I would love to be able to look back in however many years and, and see what I think then. We certainly hope there are many more years to come and maybe more moments to come this year for sure, and we appreciate the time on This Week in Race Baseball. Yeah, thanks for having me. The always entertaining Pete Fairbanks will continue right after this. You're listening to the Rays Baseball Network. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back to This Week in Rays Baseball. I'm Neil Solons. You know, yesterday, the longest current member of the Rays, Kevin Kiermeyer, appeared at Tropicana Field for the first time since his hip surgery in Nashville. Still on crutches, I asked Kevin how he was feeling less than two weeks after the procedure and how it went. Everything went great. Um, about as good as it could have gone, to be honest. I thought I would be in a lot more pain and uh, discomfort, and there's still certain things that, that do give me those. I mean, I'm 10 days out of surgery, but with that being said, I thought it was going to be way worse. Uh, so I'm very happy with, with how everything's feeling right now. Um, Dr. Bird up in Nashville did a tremendous job. I knew he would. I had complete trust in him. And even after, uh, it was just best case scenario for everything. Uh, when he got in there, he had some questions about what to do. Um, but he went in and, and did what he had to do, and, and here I am today. I'm happy. I'm, I'm motivated. I'm very optimistic that I'll get back to what I was before um, with some structure and stability in hips, which is very crucial in baseball. So I'm in a great mindset right now, um, and I'm, I'm just ready to do what i got to do for these next several months to get better. This is the first day you're seeing your teammates since... Mm -hmm. How much does that help you mentally? A ton. I couldn't. I was so excited on my drive over here today, and I knew I would be, but getting in my car and just can't wait to put my truck and drive, backing out of the driveway was uh, was an awesome feeling in the whole way here. You know, it's sad in a way because I'm like, man, I wish I was driving here a lot more than what I am as of late, obviously, but these guys motivate me. They make me happy, and it feels good seeing um Everyone in here, again, I, I needed it. It's like therapy being in here. Um, so it's been, it's been great. At the time you were going through everything, you didn't want to get into detail about how much pain you were in. How difficult was it and how easy was it a decision finally to say, okay, you know what, I need the surgery? It was difficult not talking about it in a way, but I, I don't mind keeping things under behind closed doors or under wraps. I don't think I'm obligated to tell everyone everything as far as media goes. I mean, the trainers, everyone knew what was going on, but I said I will not talk about anything until until I cannot play anymore if that day gets here. But here I am now where, because I, you know, I just want the, it's like the fans, I want people to know. I, I've played through stuff that not many people would have especially on turf like and if you saw what my labrum looked like I I don't know I think there'd be more of an appreciation not that there isn't already but it's just like I I feel like I owed it to everyone and I was comfortable if I had done the same thing again I think I would have because I'm just every game I can put this uniform on has been so important to me and uh, been part of such fun things even with my body feeling like that but it got to a point where I couldn't go anymore and uh you know had to make a decision and, and I knew that I mean it's a long overdue but surgery had to happen and uh I just I wanted to finish out the season and obviously that didn't happen but I'm just I'm grateful for each and everything and it's it's uh this downtime has really made me reflect on uh so many things throughout the years and uh I'm, I'm a lucky man what is best or what flushes 
comes to mind for you because you've had so many good memories here? Um, especially, I mean, just how this organization, they've given me the world. I've lived a life these past eight or nine years that I all, um, you know, once I started working my way up through the minor leagues and knew where my mental mindset was, I said, I'm, you know, this is a possibility now. But if you would have just told a high school or junior college Kevin Kiermaier, hey, one day you're going to be, um, you know, a popular face around town to MLB team, I, I would have told you you were nuts. But the way everyone in this community has treated me since day one, the opportunities that I've created for myself and take advantage of throughout the years, um, I'm very proud of myself in that regard, but every year since 2000, starting from my debut to right now, when I said I couldn't imagine being with a different team, um, like I, I just truly feel like I was just, it was meant to be for me to be a part of here, and it's just transcended my life the best way I could ever imagine. And I just, you know, you try to process all that from the last nine years and the teams, the wins, the losses, you know, some awards here or there. Um, I'm so fortunate to to put on this uniform and represent our community uh, for so long. And I, I don't think people ever realize how much I mean that. Like I am, I, it is the one of the most things I'm ever proud of is put on this jersey and represent that across my chest every day. I am, I, I am, I am darn proud of that. Does it make it hard to think about what your future may be? <clears throat> yeah, at times. Um, but this this has given me a glimpse um, of all this downtime where it's at the point, hey, you know, what it, with whatever happens with the Rays moving forward, I don't know. Um, maybe there will be mutual interest, but I have a lot of competitive fire mentally left, and if it's if it's with or without the Rays, um, if I'm playing, like I love playing baseball, I love playing this game, and um, just seeing, you know, what other chapters I can write to my career or my story, and I know that I'm capable of a lot more, and the thought of a healthy body is what's going to get me through this because I know I can be very effective whenever. Um, you know, I swing the bat, and whenever my body's feeling good, I can be a dangerous, dangerous player out there. And even with me aging, uh, I've taken my bumps and bruises along the way. I know that, but I know I can, I can help teams win. Um, but I just, I want to play baseball. Bottom, bottom line, I want to, I want to be on a major league team in 2023. And I, I guess we'll have to just wait and see what, what comes of that. In the meantime, we appreciate all that you've given here. We're glad to see your smile back on your face, and we wish you best of luck in getting healthy again. Thank you, Neil. Thank you so much. Yeah, that's Kevin Kiermaier, and certainly great to see him smiling again and even got a little emotional. You can probably hear that in his voice. He'll be off crutches in about three weeks, expected to be back at Tropicana Field multiple times for games between now and the end of the regular season. In fact, probably no surprise he was back in the clubhouse today to provide some support. Uh, let's turn to the minor league side for the Rays and our feature interview on this week in Rays baseball. This week from that area is with J.J. Goss, who was just named the Rays Minor League Pitcher of the Month for July. J.J., thanks so much for joining us. Yes, sir. Happy to be here. Tell me, first of all, what it meant to be Pitcher of the Month in the organization, one like this one especially, where pitching is such an important part of, of the whole organization. Uh, it means a lot to be chosen for that. Um, just being able to catch a groove this past month and stay in it and just go out to each start day and just keep keep grinding. Tell me what it also has meant in the context of what you have had to deal with on a personal level. You threw, what, just over 10 innings last year with a shoulder injury after the COVID year. Um, how much, how gratifying has it been with all the work that you've put in? Finally being able to be open and almost like free and feeling like that role I felt when I was in high school, just maintaining the body and staying healthy for a while and being able to go six innings, five innings deep in the games and something that I've missed and really enjoyed being back into the groove of things and keeping that going. 
Tell me what the the start of the year was like, because I know the Rays were going to be careful you with you with innings. I saw two innings, three innings, four innings. Was that more difficult mentally, or were there also some rust that you were kind of shaking off early on too? Um, early on was definitely I knew going in that I was going to be limited and shortened just so I can be able to finish out through the year with no setbacks towards the end. Um, starting off with the one to two innings, the three innings, four. Um, it was it was different for me going out there, just being able to throw one or the two innings. And I've done that in pro ball a couple times now, just workload limit and stuff like that. But it's different. It's a little challenging because I don't want to exert myself so fast knowing that in the future I'm going to be going five or six innings to where if I come in one or two innings, just letting it fly and then I'm gassed out at the end. It's like something that I have to kind of watch when I do that. Has it been easier, too, for you from a mental standpoint to now be stretched out to be able to go six innings at a, at a spurt? Yeah, I mean, I feel the most comfortable I've ever felt right now, just being able to be back in that element where it's five or six innings, and I know I'm going to be out there, no one's going to come get me, and I'm just back against the wall and just enjoy the dogfight. So tell me how you've grown in terms of your pitches during the course of the year, because obviously the last month you've been getting great results. Yeah, um, at the beginning of the year, I wasn't throwing my cutter to start the year just because I dealt with a little bit of flexor stuff coming out of spring training. But um, I was just fastball, change-up slider, and then about a month or two in, we kind of tried to tighten up the slider, and then that wasn't working very well, and I wasn't seeing the results I wanted. So I went back to the cutter, my slider, change-up fastball, and just kind of went from there. And I mean, everything's been working, and hopefully it stays that way. And change up, I lean on a lot to righties and lefties, which has been helpful. So Now, in high school, you didn't need to do that. So how has your changeup developed um, during the course of your pro career? Yeah, I mean, the first year I came in, and it was like, oh, here's my changeup. And they kind of looked at me like, ah. And then after an instructional league working with Marty, dog, down at the complex, um, Show me a change of grip, and I kind of took it and ran, and it's almost developed as one of my, my best plus-plus pitches, I feel like. And just I'm able to throw the righties and lefties, and the death it has off the fastball is pretty good. Yeah, Marty Demerit, for people who don't know, is kind of like the change-up guru in the Rays organization. How much has he meant to your growth this year? Yeah, I mean, I talked to Dog back in spring training, but, yeah, I mean, my first year, two years, uh, three years, um, been around dog at the complex every day, you know, and um, it's definitely a guy, you pick his brain, he, he knows his stuff, and so I took advantage and took it and ran, and now it's developed to be one of my, my better pitches. And how has your fastball, JJ, evolved this year? Because obviously the changeup is only as good as the ability to locate the fastball, too. Yeah, I mean, the location early on, I mean, I don't know if it was butterflies or just not being as comfortable as I am now, but... Like going on now, I mean, the fastball has been playing up in the zone and almost getting it to where I want to, and I can throw the changeup cutter off of it. But being able to locate my, my fastball really helps my other pitches play up. I'm curious, too, as you've gone through the year and you've probably built up arm strength and you've gotten used to going from one, two innings to all the way up to five to six, has your velo ticked up during the year, and where is it right now fastball-wise? Um, at the beginning, I know there were some outings to where it would stay down, 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 and then all of a sudden I'd go two innings and it'd be back up to like the mid nineties. And then I was going through struggling or whatever the past, or like the first two, three months, and then going in and they shortened me back down after I went a couple four innings. They were like, all right, let's just go throw two innings and get after it and see what happens. See if we can get an uptick in velo, and then. Ended up popping the highest I've hit this season so far in that short little outing. I think it was 95 or 96. And then ever since, I mean, I've been maintaining low to mid-90s throughout the five, six innings. So, How good does it feel to to be at that point? And how how helpful have the coaches been in Charleston with you? It was great. Um, at the beginning of the season, I'm glad that they kind of played it smart and held me down a little bit to where it was one to two innings, three innings at max and allow me to – be able to do what I'm doing right now, going to five or six innings late into the season, carrying on for the rest of the month and in the playoffs, hopefully. So the staff's been there. I mean, it's been great. 
And I know you've gotten a lot of support, not only from the Rays as you came back from a, a little bit of a shoulder issue last year, uh, but you had your family in town recently. What has their support meant through all this? Yeah, it was great. Um, with them being able to come visit and actually get to watch some baseball and then see me back on the field, I think they really enjoy it. And it means a lot to play in front of them again, you know. Always, every game, they didn't miss a high school game. And now that I'm so far away, it's a little more difficult so when they get the time to come out I really enjoy it and take it in. JJ do you have a feel for how many innings they want to limit you or is there a number they've told you hey we'll let you get to this point this year or is it kind of uh, now that you've gotten to five or six innings in a game they're just going to kind of see how you go start by start? Total innings I'm not sure I know at the beginning I didn't think I was going to go more than 80 to 100 and now on pace, I think I'm right almost at 80 innings this year. And the pace I'm going, I haven't heard anything. And RC, our pitching coach, hasn't said anything. And so I think we're just going to keep on rolling. What has he meant? Uh, and how has he helped you this year? Because RC Lichtenstein has a really good rep throughout the organization. Yeah, um, I didn't know RC too much going in to the season. Um, I threw a couple of bullpens with him in spring training, and that's where I met him the first time and so coming here and then starting fresh we kind of we, we bonded and molded pretty quick together we started working together in the bullpen and then I mean he helped me improve a lot you know um, I've never really aimed to drive fastball up so much in the zone until I met RC um, but yeah I mean RC it's fun to pick his brain you know he he's been up there with double A and everything like that and so Knowing that how he lives about driving fastball up and letting the pitches work off of off of that in and out up and down has been successful and been working so far. So and JJ, what are your goals for the the rest of the season? What are, what do you hope to accomplish? Obviously, you're coming off a great month. Um, you know, like I said, I caught that groove and I I look forward and plan to stay in this groove and go out there every night and on start day and just dominate and hopefully we can get a playoff run and go deep in the playoffs and let's get a ring. I think all the, the organization is all for that. JJ, we appreciate some time on this week in race baseball. Keep up the good work. Yes, sir. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. And that is J.J. Goss, the 36th overall pick in the 2019 draft out of high school in Texas. Yesterday, he saw a streak end of 10 consecutive starts, allowing three runs or fewer, and he now has surpassed 80 innings for the 2022 season. Let's take a look at how the Rays affiliates are doing. In fact, it's been a banner year record-wise for all of them. Durham currently has a one-game lead in the International League. That's the AAA level. In AA, Montgomery has a four-game advantage in the Southern League South Division. Bowling Green already has qualified for the postseason. They won their first half. Charleston in the Carolina League has a three-game advantage, and that's in the South Division there. And in the Florida Complex League, the Rays have a one-game lead in their division at that point. So all of the Rays affiliates currently are either leading their respective divisions or they have qualified for a playoff spot. And overall, Tampa Bay affiliates have the best combined record in Major League Baseball. As we continue on our This Week in Rays Baseball program, we have a feature coming up on Brian Plexico. He's from Rays Baseball Operations. In addition, we will chat with Orioles broadcaster Jeff Arnold on why Baltimore has improved so much this season. We'll do that in just a moment. You're listening to This Week in Rays Baseball, and this is the Rays Baseball Network. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to This Week in Rays Baseball. I'm Neil Solons. You know, from time to time on our show, we've introduced you to the people behind the players in Rays Baseball operations. And it's time for our latest feature today. It's on Brian Plexico as a voice anybody would envy and also as Senior Director for Baseball Systems with the Rays. And here is his Tampa Bay story. I was working what I would call a regular job uh, back in Charleston, South Carolina, near my hometown uh, for a defense contractor. And... I was playing a lot of tennis at the time, went to the tennis website to find out the results of a match, 
Saw a link that said career opportunities at the bottom of it, clicked on the link, and up popped the raise job when I plugged in a few keywords. Sent in my resume to James Click and Andrew Friedman, and a few weeks later, I was here. So this is what year now? This is my 17th season. Did you have any desire to get into baseball, and it just happened that this popped up on your computer? or It just popped up on my, my computer. I wasn't actively looking to get into baseball at all, but uh, I'd spent my entire life around baseball playing from a very young age and all the way through a little bit in college. And when it popped up, there was no way I was not going to apply for the job, and there was no way I was going to turn it down when it was offered to me. So tell me what you did then and now what you do as a, a senior director. I had several different roles in the tech industry prior to getting here. Um, I had done a lot of network engineering, and then that led into some programming, and I just kind of decided I liked the programming a lot more, so I ended up teaching myself how to do that. And uh, the job I had right before I got here was working uh, on an inventory system for naval ships that were deployed at sea. Not the most exciting thing by far. Uh, baseball is better. And uh, so... Just use those skills, uh, put those on the resume, and that's exactly what the Rays were looking for right when I applied. What is different from what you did then versus what you do today? Underlying, not a whole lot is, is different. Uh, you know, it's writing code, it's dealing with databases and putting information in and getting information out. Uh, so in a nutshell, it's the same, uh, just a lot more exciting with baseball. And how many people were here in your type of role when you got here, and how big has that grown because I know baseball operations has more than doubled since you arrived 17 years ago. Uh, when I got here, there was nobody here. Uh, I was literally James Click doing the statistics and the analytics, and they hired me to do the software. We, ha we had a consultant that had created a kind of sort of software app. I wouldn't totally call it that. It wasn't near as robust as what we have now. So basically, I was starting from scratch. And how many people now do you work with under that help manage all of the systems here? Uh, we've got about a dozen people now. I've kind of lost count. We've had a few come and go recently uh, for different personal reasons, but uh, it's about a dozen people now, and it's uh, grown significantly just in the last few years. How much have you enjoyed this, and what have been your most enjoyable parts of being with the race? Uh, at this point, I can't imagine doing anything else. I, I love baseball. I love the organization. Um, there, just wouldn't imagine doing anything else at this point. Uh, some of my favorite memories are, you know, just 2008, you know, going to the World Series after two years of very bad baseball. But even those two years prior to that, was, it was just fun, you know, getting to know everybody. And, you know, we had such a great close-knit small group at the time, as you mentioned. 2011, you know, game 162, you know, to be up in the suite, to be able to watch from the very beginning when everybody thought it was all over that night to – Evan hitting the home run that just led to just an amazing evening. We watched all the other games that we were dependent upon uh, to actually make the playoffs that year. It was just a great time. And, you know, the 2020 trip to the World Series, I mean, who, who can beat that? You know, you didn't expect much out of that year, but for that to happen and to be able to witness that was incredible. On a personal level, how did you grow to love the game of baseball? Because you mentioned growing up in South Carolina, that's not known as, there are no major league teams. The closest, I guess, is Atlanta. Yeah. Uh, grew up a Braves fan. My, my dad grew up listening to Braves games with my grandfather on the radio. And obviously TBS was what everybody watched. Uh, so my dad and I spent many nights just sitting there watching the Braves on TBS. So I think uh, my parents tell the story that basically when I was about three, I was running around with a, a plastic bat wanting to – I was upset that I couldn't go play t-ball because I had a few older friends that my, my parents knew who were playing t-ball, and I was upset that I wasn't old enough to do it yet. So from a very young age, I was just – you know, everything was baseball for me. And what has made the environment here special to you? It, it's just unlike anywhere else I, I've been before. Um, it's it, It's – know, very family-oriented. I've, I've raised my family in this organization. My my youngest kid was not even two years old when we got here, and she is literally going off to college in a week. And she was raised right here among all of it. And the people that, have, that are here now, the people that have left here, but, you know, you're still very close with, uh, you know, it's those relationships that make this a place that's just incredible in addition to being able to do baseball for a living. And in terms of without getting into too much detail or telling any company secrets, 
how much like different is you, you mentioned creating code, but you're allowing basically all of the type of analytical work, a system for them to work underneath. Is that kind of how it works? Yeah, what we've created is, uh, you know, basically a platform that enables decision making at every level. Uh, the, the the software is used by every single person in baseball operations, pretty much everybody from you know Eric, Peter, all the way down to our trainers, uh, and everybody in between. We do as much as we can to collect information. Uh, the analysts compile that information into usable format. And then we disseminate that information in the software that we've got so that people can make decisions quickly and accurately. Uh, with the explosion of data these days, that's not the easiest job, but it's, it, it definitely keeps it fun. You probably in 17 years have come across some great people and some great stories. What's something that pops to mind that sticks with you? One of our first years here, we put together a uh, – everybody came to the TROP. Everybody in baseball ops, which was a much smaller group now, the group that we have in the office every day is far bigger than the group that actually showed up from all over the world that back in uh, those days. And one of the people that was there attending these meetings with us was Don Zimmer, nicest guy you've ever met. You know, it didn't matter who you were, he was going to be friends with you. And we spent the whole day talking about the new philosophy of the Rays and how things are going to change because this was the first year of Andrew Friedman's Rain as GM here. And, you know, so we did a lot of talking about baseball and strategy and what things would look like going forward. And at the end of the night, to have a little fun, we, we had a uh, poker tournament down on the field. And Don Zimmer loved, uh, loved everything poker and horses, uh, from what I understand. And that night, uh, he was determined to show everybody that he, uh, he was a poker, poker guy. And he quickly ran the table that I was sitting at and made jokes the whole time about us, all of us young whippersnappers couldn't hang with him. And it, it was very true. We, we couldn't. It's uh, classic Don Zimmer. And that's Ray's Senior Director for Baseball Systems in Brian Plexico. Glad he could share his story with us. And uh, today on the field, the Rays play their last regular season game against the Orioles. The clubs are 9-9 nine and nine against one another. Baltimore certainly has been the surprise of the American League. And you can argue the majors as well. Joining me right now is Orioles broadcaster Jeff Arnold. Jeff, thanks so much for being with us. Neil, it's great to be with you. Tell me what has been most impressive or maybe most surprising about the way the Orioles have certainly made massive progress this year and, and are right there for a playoff spot. Neil, there have been so many surprises, so I'll just pick a couple right off the top. You know, I think the first one is and especially given how it has performed the last couple of years, just how good this bullpen has been. And coming into the year um, off of the lockout, uh, Brandon Hyde had told us that he didn't know what he was going to get out of this group. Um, and Felix Bautista has been one of the best relievers in all of baseball. He has thrown a lot of strikes. So, you know, Perez has been lights out. Um, he has thrown a lot of strikes this year when that was something that he had problems doing with Cincinnati. Um, we have had multiple guys step up into, you know, to kind of Swiss Army knife rolls like uh, Joey Crable, who the Rays know, and Brian Baker. And, you know, everybody has done their job and everybody has done it really well. They've been able to do it really well while essentially having uh, one long guy in the bullpen in Keegan Aiken. The starting rotation has had um, a lot of, you know, lesser known starting pitchers have uh, career seasons. And then the defense has been fantastic. But, you know, another surprise for me, and it's just kind of how they have put these numbers up when they have had guys like, you know, Cedric Mullins coming off a 30-30 season has been fine, but he hasn't gotten on a huge role at any point this year. Anthony Santander, we started to see him get hot recently. And then Ryan Mountcastle has kind of been slumping ever since uh, the start of July. So how other guys have been able to step up and how, We've played all these close games and how at the very end we've been able to get the big hit when we've needed it. It's created a very interesting formula for us to win games, but more often than not, we have. We've got so many come-from-behind wins, a number of wins this year when we're trailing after seven innings, and it's, it's made for an incredibly entertaining product. You mentioned that Brandon Hyde wasn't sure what to expect out of the bullpen way back when, but Kevin Cash had told us after the first series – that has a chance to be a really good bullpen. And that was the first series of the season. So maybe he was one of the few people who saw those arms out there and said that could be something. 
And I think that we realized that it could be, but there was always the question, especially with guys like Perez and Bautista, could they throw enough strikes? And could they get in the zone enough? You know, Jorge Lopez, we'd already gotten a glimpse of what it could look like the year before. So when he moved into the closers role, we we all had, I think, had an indication, like this has a chance to work and this could be really good. And it was. Eventually he gets traded. But then Bautista stepped up and, and been huge. I mean, this is somebody that if you look at his career minor league numbers and the walks and um, his minor league numbers before he was even with the Orioles organization, um, you, you turn away a little bit. Uh, but he's really figured it out, and he has been a, a huge surprise. He's been somebody that I, I feel like has to be generating some some rookie of the year interest right now with the the season that he's had. Um, he's got the personality for it. He certainly has got the stuff for it. Um, and then everybody who they've been able to to stack in front of him has come on in big spots and and gotten it done. So it's it, the bullpen has been you know the backbone I think behind our success this entire season. You say they're the backbone, but how big has Adley Rushman been in terms of the turnaround? And really, the ability to win as consistently as you have since he's come aboard. Well, you look at the record for what it's been since May 21st, since he arrived. And then you look at kind of just going a little bit forward from there as he started to get hot. um, And what he has done since the All-Star break, in particular, when it comes to reaching base. So, no, there is no doubt that there is a huge connection between Adley Rutschman's arrival and this team's success on the field. You know, with Rutschman, you have somebody that has already become one of the league's best blockers, one of the league's best pitch framers. Um, And then offensively, you know, he's starting to to turn it up. Um, He's reaching base a ton. He walks a ton. He is just an all-around good player. I mean, if you look at how he runs on the bases. I mean, he has got better than average speed and is, you know, one of the faster catchers in all of baseball. So there's nothing that he doesn't do. And then I think that having him here is everybody's reminder that, all right, he's here now and he's, it's time to start winning a little bit. I think everybody realizes the impact that he could have. And then I think that he built some street cred too. When you looked at maybe how the first, you know, 20 or so games went and how each, you know, section of games since then, he's kind of picked it up a little bit more. So, you know, he's got the respect of everyone in that clubhouse um, and the production, you know, both behind the plate and um, offensively has been huge and is obviously made a huge difference with him out of the two spot of the order. Obviously, he's a top pick. I think everyone expected he would be good. Maybe the biggest surprise for me, Jeff, is that the Orioles have continued to win since the deadline after moving Jorge Lopez, after moving Trey Mancini, who was known as such an important piece of the clubhouse. What has allowed the culture to stay as good as it is and the team to play as well as it has since they both were traded? I mean, I think that with the the Trey piece, that was really difficult. The Orioles, I think, just kind of have this mentality of we're going to find a way to win kind of no matter what. And, and I do give some of the the veterans like Robinson, Chirinos, and Arugnet Odor some credit because they understand what winning is like and they keep the mood and the vibe, you know, really good. I mean, everybody misses Trey. Everybody misses Lopez. Those are two of the most popular guys in the clubhouse. You know, Trey was the heart and soul of your team. But at the same time, I think that everybody is able to kind of rally around each other. And I, and I give those two guys in particular, and especially Odor, a lot of credit for making sure that that dugout is is lively, that the clubhouse mood is terrific. I think that this team has faced a lot of adversity before, and they just view it as, you know, a, another thing. And and listen, like it's not to say that the Orioles didn't get back some great returns in those deals. I mean, the pitching that they got back was really good. And the Orioles are hopeful that they're going to be able to take guys like that and they're going to be part of your rotation down the road. Like they really like the returns on those two, on those two deals that they made. Uh, but for now, um, I think that just based on how that clubhouse atmosphere has been uh, with some of the veterans that you have, they've been able to rally everybody a little bit. And it didn't hurt as well that you're facing the Texas Rangers, um, you face the Pirates, and then you build some momentum from winning in all those series. And then you go from there to the Toronto Blue Jays and uh, you, you win a couple of games against them. So I, I don't think that that hurts as well. But but I, I think that 
having some veteran leaders that can kind of help you out and, and have kind of been through the deadline before and understand what it's all about has been something that has helped out uh, what could otherwise have been a, a pretty tough situation. There's still 50-ish games to go, but I think to this point, from my viewpoint, Brandon Hyde is your manager of the year. Does he now get an extension, do you think? Does he become the guy now to see this through from the beginning of this rebuild through, you know, wherever they want to take it? I think that Brandon Hyde has earned an opportunity to take this team through. And based on what Mike Elias, Orioles VP and general manager, has said in years past, that's the plan. Brandon has established himself as a very good major league manager. He knows what he's doing. He's got a terrific bench coach in Freddie Gonzalez, and he understands how to manage a game. And when he has an opportunity to put people in the right spots, and you know, you go back to the very beginning of the rebuild, and every night you have no bullpen, and you're wondering how are we going to get through this? You can't be a very good manager in a spot like that. You go back to last year. And there's not a whole lot of cards that you can play. There's not a whole lot of options that you have. But when you do have a bullpen that performs and when you do have different players that are stepping up and having the years that they're having and suddenly you have an ability to really manage a game and and manage it the way you want to manage it, Brandon has shown that he is more than up to the task. So I think that he sticks through it. I wouldn't be, you know, I think that he's earned an opportunity to be with this team long term. You know, that's obviously a decision for others to make, but but I think he has an, a chance to see it through. He should be able to, and uh, the team's success in a year like this has proven it. Jeff, really good stuff. We appreciate a few minutes. Best of luck the rest of the year. Neil, uh, best of luck to you as well, and, uh, of course, we'll be talking to you down the road. And that is Baltimore Orioles broadcaster Jeff Arnold. Beginning today, the Rays a half game in front of the O's for the last playoff spot in the American League with 50 to go. And the teams are tied in terms of head-to-head record at 9-9, nine and nine, so winning today would give whatever team wins the tiebreaker edge. Before we continue, why don't we pause for station identification. You are listening to the Rays Baseball Network. WGAE St. Petersburg, W237CW Pinellas Park, WBTP HD3 Clearwater, W224BE Brandon, and iHeart Radio Station. Special thanks to Jeff Arnold, Baltimore Orioles broadcaster, and all of the guests on the program today. Reliever Pete Fairbanks, quite entertaining. We discussed everything from Marvel to his time as a reliever to his rehab. Also appreciate the time of one Kevin Kiermeyer, his first opportunity to chat with the media since his recent hip surgery. J.J. Goss, Ray's prospect for joining us, as well as... Brian Plexico from Race Baseball Operations, our latest feature on the program. If you ever have something you want to hear on the show, all you have to do is tweet me, and you can do so at Neil Solons. On next week's show, we'll hear from Yandi Diaz and a whole lot more. Special thanks today to my producer, John Dugas. I'm Neil Solon. Stay tuned. It's the Rays and the Orioles, the last of three in Tampa Bay, trying to come up with a season series and this series. On this Sunday afternoon, the pregame show is next. Thanks for being with us. You are listening to the Rays Baseball Network. Thank you for listening to This Week in Rays Baseball. Breaking ball lifted to the air, way up there, into right field and deep. Judge is going back towards the corner at the wall. Gone! And the Rays jump in front four to one. If you missed any of the show, catch it on archive at RaysBaseball.com slash radio.